Jedi Squadron is a podcast run by the Anime Secrets website. Check us out at AnimeSecrets.org for more anime, video game, tokusatsu, and now Star Wars content. Remember to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts today. Hello, new Padawans, and welcome to the Jedi Squadron podcast. Here, you will be taking lessons in the many pieces of the Star Wars universe, whether it be the movies, animated series, video games, comics, and etc. This is your training into becoming a Star Wars fan as part of the Jedi Squadron. May your training go well, and may the Force be with you, young Padawans. What is going on, Star Wars Nation? This is the Jedi Squadron Podcast, presented by AnimeSecrets.org. I'm your host, Nathan Desa, and today we are doing, in our little road to Ahsoka, we are reviewing Season 2 of the uh, Rebels animated series. I have Riz on here. Uh, go ahead and say hey. Hey, guys, and I am ready to talk about Rebels Season 2. It's going to be fantastic. All right, so uh, before we get started, uh, as per usual, uh, we are recording this in the middle of the Screen Actors Guild and Writers Guild strikes. We want to stress that we are not profiting from this. We were not at, We are not doing this to promote anything in relation to Hollywood. We are doing this to show our support for the actors and writers whose hard work made shows like this possible. We love them. We are showing support for them, and we support them in their endeavors during the strike. We want to stress that. Um, so with that being said, uh, season two of Rebels. Uh, so to kind of give a bit of a, um, you know, last season was mostly just, you know, Ezra meets up with the crew and, uh, and you know, they go through a lot of like episodic antics. But then, you know, in the last episode, they defeated the Grand Inquisitor they meet, they met Ahsoka and like join her cause and everything. So, uh, because it turns out that Ahsoka was uh, fulcrum who was an agent that was giving them information. So season two kind of picks up from that story. Uh, you know, we get, um, so I don't remember the big overarching story, you know, other than that, you know, it starts off with a, with an hour long special called the siege of Lothal. That's where um, Kanan and Ezra have their first encounter with Darth Vader. And during that encounter, Ahsoka and Vader encounter, uh, they sense each other for the first time, which is pretty insane. Which is a really big plot point for the finale of season two. Yep. Um, So it's going to come full circle. What happens at the beginning resolves at the end. And it is, in my opinion, my very biased opinion... One mm-hmm. of the best pieces of Star Wars anything. It's just so beautifully well done. But we'll get yeah. into it when we get into it. Just throwing it out there right now. I'm throwing the high praises here. Uh, but to kind of continue on with some other pieces of the story, uh, well, for starters, we're getting, we got a lot of uh, Clone Wars characters that come back. In the very next episode, the third episode, we... Um, the crew meets up with uh, three former clone troopers who uh one of which was a main character in clones we see captain rex uh commander wolf and gregor um i i do remember seeing wolf uh, i remember gregor because he was only in like one episode of like the colonel gaston arc uh 
I, I think Wolf fought under Plo Koon for a while. I, I, I don't. Okay, so this is gonna sound bad given I've seen Clone Wars like two, three times so far. Mm-hmm. But I don't really remember Gregor or um, Wolf all that much. I mean, I remember seeing Wolf. Definitely, he was there somewhere in the background. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't a major focus. And Gregor, I don't remember him. Uh, do you don't. remember there was an arc in a season five where R two and a bunch of other asteroids were trying to f- go on this mission with this yeah with that guy yeah, and, episode, so. yeah Gregor was this clone trooper that fought off a bunch of separatist droids and so that they could uh, escape from that planet okay and he supposedly died but here he apparently ex- survived so he he didn't die he, yeah. he's still kicking. Uh, we also get another guy from Clone Wars who <laughs> I'm so glad to have him back. Uh, Hondo, who's going to be a recurring Dude, character now. Hondo is my favorite character. Okay, yeah. he's not my favorite character from the Clone Wars and Rebels, but he is definitely in like the top top ten. I, I want to say top five, but I can't say that when I'm mixing Clone Wars and Rebels. But yeah, it's so definitely funny, top 10. Yeah, so funny story. Uh, last year when my wife and I, we went to uh, Disney's Galaxy's Edge. So when you go on the ride for the uh, Millennium Falcon, you actually see Hondo. Because the story behind that ride is that Hondo is uh, sending you on like a smuggling mission. And they have this like animatronic that looks like Hondo. And he's like, oh, you come to do business with Hondo. You come and work for me. And I had like a huge fanboy moment when I saw Hondo, like, up close like that. He's hilarious. You come to work for me. You bring me money, and then we sit down and we have a drink, you know? Like, um, so there's that. Uh, We, uh, most of it is just, you know, them going through, uh, you know, a series of uh, different adventures while dealing with the Inquisitors. Uh, We get one episode where we see Princess Leia. um, And, uh, the, the big thing, though, about this season is that this season does try to flesh out some of the backstories for our main characters. Maybe not Kanan so much, but uh, in the case of uh, so Zed, mm-hmm. Pro- in the case of Sabine, now Sabine doesn't get as much focus as she's going to get in the uh, next season. In the next season, but we do find out that she was part of uh, of Clan Vizsla which was uh, the clan that wanted to uh, overthrow Satine's rule during the Clone Wars. Um, and she was part of Death Watch, which was, uh, her family was part of Death Watch, which was uh, the Mandalorian terrorists that we were introduced to in uh, the Clone Wars. Now, we don't know much more about Sabine just yet. Uh, we find out more about Zeb, how, uh, so he has a bit of a rivalry going on with Agent Callus. And uh, we find out that uh, most, if not all, of his people, the Lasats, were killed. And he was the sole survival survivor. And Agent Callus was apparently the person who supposedly ordered, you know, the extinction of them. Yeah. Uh, Ezra finds out more about his parents on Lothal, how they apparently uh, were killed when they defied the Empire. And uh, in the case of Hera, now Hera wasn't as big for me since uh, 
I kind of already knew her backstory, but we get an episode where we're introduced, well, not introduced because he was in Clone Wars, but we see her father, Cham, who she's at odds with because Cham is just uh, preoccupied with trying to save Ryloth. Uh, while, you know, Hera wants to free the entire galaxy. And we'll talk more about these individual characters uh, yeah. later on. But uh, but so, the big thing... Go ahead, Riz. Real quick, I want to rewind back a little bit. Mm -hmm. I've been reading the uh, Star Wars wiki mm -hmm. to refresh my memory of Wolf and Gregor. And now I'm kicking myself for not remembering these two. So... These two were with uh, Fives and Rex when they found out about the chip in the back of the clones' heads that are making them yep. New Order 66. So Fives and Rex convinced them to, uh, to remove the chips beforehand. And also, Gregor... I haven't seen this yet in Bad, Bad Batch because I'm a little bit behind. I'm very behind. I don't quite know, but... <laughs> Uh, Gregor does appear in the Bad Batch as well. Um, yeah, I remember he according does. According to this, but I don't want to give the details of how he appears, as that will come in a later review, I feel. Mm -hmm. But just want to lay that foundation out there that, yeah, I do remember now I've done my homework. I know who these guys are. And part of, I think, Gregor's interest for me now is he actually got amnesia at some point during the Clone Wars, and that's why he's a little bit kind of woohy, you know? Nate, you're on mute. The explanation is that he suffered some head trauma during the explosion that, yeah. he, uh, that he suffered, that he went through during that arc. Yeah. Um, but it's just interesting backstory just to give a quick rundown of who these people are that we honestly will not see again after this in this season. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But some big story developments are that uh, the rebellion f manages to form a base on the planet Adalon at um, at some point, and there's a creature that uh, be that came to be friends named uh, Bintu, who's meant to be like a physical manifestation of like balance between good and like the light and dark within the force. Uh, he's not as big in this season, but he'll be a much bigger deal uh, at the, you know, in the next season. Um, and, uh, and then in the finale, which in my opinion, uh, I think the finale to this season is probably the best out of all, out of everything in Rebels. Even though I do think season three as a whole is better. I do think that this finale is amazing. Um, it's, it's still one of the best cinematic things in Star Wars. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people talk about Duel of the Fates in Episode 1, yep. and they talk about Luke versus Vader versus uh, Palpatine and Return of Jedi, and they talk about you know these different epic battles, but we honestly don't get a lot of love for Ahsoka versus Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. Because, so... Given we're going out of order here in this podcast because we're talking about the things that we like most, I'm going to start off by talking about the thing I love the most. Mm -hmm. And that's the Ahsoka and uh, Darth Vader fight. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's not just the fact that 
the fight is beautifully done. It's not just the fact that um, the choreography of the fight was really well done. It's the emotional charge of what's going on here. Ahsoka has spent the entire season now, because as Nate said in the beginning of this, Ahsoka felt Anakin when Vader appeared for the first time on Lothal. And Ahsoka had been kind of wondering, is it really Anakin? Could it be Anakin? How could it just be Anakin? Like, she, she wants to think it's him, but she's holding out hope it's not him in the back of her mind. Like, I really don't want this to be my master, but the evidence is becoming insurmountable that I can't deny it anymore. Yep. So she's facing this big internal struggle alongside the fact that she's still struggling so much, dude, with her entire leaving the Jedi Order. And I can't help but feel like she blames herself a little bit for Anakin going down the path of the dark side. Mm -hmm. So you have all this emotion built up in this season and it culminates in Darth Vader appearing, fighting Ezra, Ahsoka coming to save Ezra, and then the two of them beginning their fight and Vader saying, this has been a long time coming, blah, 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 blah. And that fight, just the emotions. And then when Ahsoka does manage to chip his mask and you can see Anakin's yellow eye beneath it, the feeling of Ahsoka realizing, okay, this is Anakin. I can't abandon him. I did it. I already abandoned him once and look what happened to him. I have to help him however I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those of y'all that know anything about Star Wars, clearly Ahsoka will not win here. Yeah. Um, and clearly she doesn't die because they have a whole TV show called Ahsoka set <laughs> after the original trilogy. Of course. So... <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> but yeah, that scene where she uh, chips his mask off, like that might be my favorite, one of my favorite moments in all of Star Wars. Like it's like, I mean, I mean, what a, I mean, if you want a huge statement on just how great this moment is, I mean, they try to copy it again and I think it works, but not as good, but they copied it in Kenobi with yeah. what Obi-Wan does. But I think it's, much more powerful here because like with with in the Kenobi one and here's the thing I like Kenobi I know that a lot of people don't like it I like it so I'll be the first person to defend it but the way that they handle Anakin unmasked is so much more powerful here like the the music is a lot softer Ahsoka looks absolutely horrified when she sees him uh behind the mask and what I love is that there's very little dialogue, like, you know, because Ahsoka already feels guilty about leaving Anakin, and she says, I won't leave you, not this time, and you can see within the little bit of Anakin's face that he does look like, he looks like he's calming down for a second, and there's like this really big silence where you think, okay, maybe he's going to forgive her or something, but then his eye turns yellow again, and he's like, then you will. And then yeah. his voice turns back to the Vader voice, die. <laughs> like, yeah. not much more dialogue is needed there. Like, that that gives me, that honestly just, like, 
gave me chills the first time. And I've watched that clip a thousand more times. Oh, dude. Since I've done that in it. it. In my opinion, it's one of the most iconic extended Star Wars scenes. Like, it's not and, it's not iconic because the, the iconic stuff normally comes from the OT or the PT. Uh-huh. But if you take into account all of the expanded TV shows and lore, this is easily one of the most impactful and the most um, significant moment, I feel. And well, I love how when they have a... What's the name of the guy who voices Anakin in the Clone Wars? Matt Lanter? Or... Lanters? I yeah. forget how to say it. Yeah, but he... Um... But yeah, having him voice Anakin in that was just, I don't know, like, that was an absolutely genius scene, like... Hey, we said it correctly, it's Matt Lanter. Oh, yeah. okay, cool. <laughs> I was like, I know it's Lanter or Lantern, and I didn't want to say Lantern if I, if it wasn't, which is why I kind of let you say it, and then I went and checked on Google. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, like, that. that's also my favorite moment in the show, in the season yeah. as well. Like it's now, I do want to say, and this is my segue to something else. If you're cool with that, Nate, yeah, that's fine. Um, when this came out, you know, seven, eight years ago, whatever it was, I don't remember how many years it's been now. Um, a lot of people, when season two ended, were kind of they had a very annoying take on this season that I didn't approve of. Mm -hmm. And I want to illustrate that with some other commentary on the season. So the take I don't like is there should have been more uh, Ahsoka and Vader build up to the finale. And instead we had Ezra as the main focus and it shouldn't have been all about Ezra. It should have been more about Ahsoka and it should have been more driven to the Darth Vader story. But literally guys, Rebels is not about Ahsoka or Vader. Nope. It's about Ezra's journey to becoming a Jedi. And quite honestly, yeah, there's some there's a little bit of filler here and there, but these are pretty good episodes in my opinion. I mean, I know a lot of people didn't like the uh Pergil episode, the Space Whale. Mm-hmm. But I actually enjoyed it because so to me that episode was the beginning well okay it's not truly the beginning of it but it's the most obvious when it begins to happen more often yeah that ezra has a very interesting connection to animals like he can instantly become friends with them he's done it a couple of times now yeah purgle he did it with that big bat thing that i don't know the name of in one of the episodes and he tried to do it with the Krickness spiders as well. Yeah, so Ezra is very in tune with the nature part of the Force. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of his specialty. You know, Anakin was this great fighter. Yoda was great at meditation and seeing beyond the Force. But Ezra is more about the in tune with the other beings in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's a very fascinating part of the Force and something we don't see very much of in Star Wars proper. I'm sure it's more prevalent in the expanded universe and the legacy books, but 
it's not prevalent in the movies or the TV shows until we get Ezra. Yeah. So I thought the buildup of Ezra. So last season, Ezra was being introduced to the Jedi Order, the concept of being a Jedi and getting his lightsaber to begin the journey. Well, guess what? Now he has a lightsaber slash gun because mm-hmm. he has to be different, which I love completely. Yeah. But also, <laughs> this season marks the real beginning of his training. Like, last season, Ezra barely had lightsaber training. He defaulted to using his little wrist slingshot thing or using a gun or using his lightsaber gun as a gun. Yeah. He he didn't really get comfortable with the lightsaber. But in this season, he's going through the motions with Kanan and he's kind of learning how to use the force. Like he can throw himself, he can have Kanan throw him. He can, he did a Jedi mind trick at one point. Yeah, I remember that. Um, when they were stealing the big, uh, the big carrier ship. Mm-hmm. Um, on Ryloth. So, yeah, he's he's growing as a Jedi. He's still a Padawan, definitely. But this is Ezra's journey to becoming a Jedi Knight or Jedi Master or whatever you want to call it now. Yep. And in a way, it's also Kanan's journey going through the emotions with Ezra and getting his redemption for feeling the guilt surviving order 66 in my opinion mm-hmm. um and i think kanan had a very big moment here when he did the trial with that temple guard and the guard gave him the rank of knight yep that is a huge deal because now he can truly say he has a padawan that he's training because before it was Padawan teaching Padawan, if you want to go by the official ranks by the temple. Yep. But now you have a Jedi Knight teaching a Padawan. And I think that's really cool. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's definitely a lot of really good character development here for everyone. I mean... And that's what I love about this season. Like, Sorry to... Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Yeah, um... Like, and yeah, I agree. Like, honestly, if this season focused a bit more on Ahsoka and Vader, I mean, I wouldn't have minded it, but I would still be a little frustrated because that would have brought back a lot of complaints that I had about season one, where season one seems more like seems to be a little too dependent on bringing in characters that we already know. This season, okay, we have characters that we already know. I mean, they Ahsoka is a major character and they bring back Rex and Leia's an episode, but Darth Maul. Yeah, of course, at the end. But yeah. It it doesn't it didn't feel it felt more like this was the season where it's like, okay, we set up these characters. Now let's try to actually expand on their backstories. Like it doesn't feel like the show is as dependent on bringing in characters we already know. Like this season is like tries to flesh out these characters. So I'm I'm fine with it focusing more on the actual original characters like Kanan, Hera, well, Phoenix Squad, basically. Like, yeah. uh, I'm cool with that because 
I honestly would have been incredibly annoyed if it focused too much on Ahsoka and Vader. Because, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, I love Ahsoka. She's a great character, but she was a main character in Clone Wars. And it's okay to have her here as a main character, but we don't have to focus on her as a main character again. And I mean, they focused on her enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like if they had done more with her character here, it would have been overpowering, and it might have right. also ruined the character a little bit. Yeah, so I think the amount of focus on Ahsoka is perfect. I, yeah. I, I, I completely disagree. And maybe it's that these people just who were complaining about that, maybe they just don't care for these Rebels characters. And that's fine. I mean, you don't have to like them. It's, you know, your prerogative. But you have to understand this is their thing. This is their TV show. Mm -hmm. So you can't just hop in and say, oh, well, Rebels Season 2 sucks because it's not all about Ahsoka and Vader and Ahsoka finding out what happened to Anakin and all this stuff. It's not. Yeah. It's literally about Ezra and Kanan. If you tell me otherwise, you're wrong. Yep. Like, I think we've had a really good run in this season. Um, some of yeah. my not finale favorite moments are the Purgles. Uh, that episode is pretty fun. Though, I think my other iconic episode from this season would be Zeb and Callus stuck on the moon. Oh, yeah, that's a great episode. Yeah. I, I like seeing a lot of moments where Rexing... My, my, one of my favorite things about this is, and I'll talk more when we go into my character breakdowns, but I love the relationship between Kanan and Rex. Dude, it's so great. Like, they, it couldn't have been handled any more perfectly. I mean, first of all, it's just cool to see a clone and a Jedi fight alongside again, just for nostalgia's sake, but... I mean, as, Kane, as Rex said, it's like old times again. Yeah. And honestly, like Rex coming back. Okay. Now to be fair, I like, I had seen, um, I had seen the final season of Clone Wars before I watched this, but I did know that Rex comes back in this show. I'm honestly glad that they brought, that they brought Rex back. Cause I remember when I was a, when I was a teenager and Clone Wars was coming out and I was watching it and like I watched episodes here and there and I always saw that Rex was a very prominent character and I'm thinking like, well, why should I care about Rex? Because at the end of the day, he's just going to do what all these other clones do. He's going to kill the Jedi and then serve the Empire. Like, why do they want me to care so much for this guy when he's just going to be another clone that is just going to execute Order 66? And then here's this show saying, uh, no, he's not. In fact, he's going to be joining the rebellion, if anything. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> that ca- came completely out of left field. But I'm all for it. <laughs> I'm cool for yeah. that because Rex is awesome. And I mean, right. Rex coming back was a really good touch because the two most important people to Anakin outside of Obi Wan are Rex and Ahsoka. Well, and Padme, but yeah, of course, Padme's literally dead. Uh huh. Um, but yeah, no, I, I just think it was nice to have, um, both of them come back. 
and kind of interact in their own way with Vader, mm-hmm. Ahsoka directly, Rex indirectly by fighting the Empire. Now, apparently, uh, I've seen several different reports. Um, there were rumors. Now, I don't know if it was supposed to be this season or next season, but I, I want to bring it up here. Um, they wanted to bring Cody to be a recurring villain in Rebels. Like, they wanted to have him, like, come in and be someone who would frequently have clashes with these people and there would be a rivalry between him and Rex. The thing is, when I first read this, I was I was cool with it because, I mean, we, we don't know because we didn't really know what happened to Cody after he ordered his troops to shoot down Obi-Wan. Um, but... Now I'm actually glad that they don't because there's this one episode that he appears in in Bad Batch. Like that one episode does like like is much better with him. I don't know if you've seen it yet, Riz. But no, uh, I don't know if I have either. So, but but so I'm glad. But we'll talk about Cody when we get to that episode because that like I I'm actually glad that they didn't have Cody just go down the path of being like this guy who's just completely brain zapped by the. Yeah, definitely. Um, but you know, you we'll talk about that when we get to that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, do we want to break down the characters now? So, I I do, but I do want to give a little bit more focus to the returning characters from the other parts of the franchise and talk about them a little bit more mm-hmm. before we get to the main ghost team. Yeah. So I want to start with Leia a little bit here. Mm-hmm. So I thought this is a very good tie-in to bring Leia in. Um, because you kind of get the sense from season one that R2 and C-3PO are doing stuff for mm-hmm. uh, Bail Organa. And you can, you know, they did like one mission where they did that thing in season one. And then they had another one where they bring that droid to R2. I think it was in this season. Mm-hmm. And R2 picks it up. So you see these two droids doing stuff for Bale and the Rebellion. And then Leia, I thought, was a really good touch here. Because this sets up Leia in Episode 4 of Star Wars. Because she's doing undercover work for the Rebellion while being part of the Senate and the committees and all that in Coruscant. Yep. So this is a good prelude to what Leia will become in the future. And it's nice. It's not overpowering. It's one episode. Leia still her quippy ass self. Um, I, I thought this is a good way to give more reference for what are the characters that we like? What are they doing before the events of Rogue One and A New Hope? Without being in your face about it. If this is all... Yeah. If we had like a whole season of Leia doing this. I would still probably like it. But if it's at the expense of the of Rebels characters, I wouldn't like it. Yeah, I think if people want to know more about Leia before A New Hope, I mean... I think there. I don't know if the book takes place before or not, but Claudia Gray has a book called 
Leia, Princess of Alderaan, which I think delves more into her backstory. Mm-hmm. So they they might be better off reading that. I mean, I haven't read it yet, but it's by Claudia Gray, and <laughs> anything written by Claudia, Claudia Gray, Gray is, is pretty amazing for what, what I know of her. Yeah, anything that she touches is just Star Wars gold. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree. I, I definitely liked Leia in that, you know, she wasn't forced. And again, I mean... I don't mind older characters appearing. I'm just glad that, you know, Leia was just in that one episode. She did her thing and yeah. we get a little bit of a st- like establishing what she's going to do later on. And then they just let her, let her be gone. And I thought that was perfect. And see the way Maul came in at the end to bring up the other recurring character from the franchise. This brings back Maul who at the end of Clone Wars, we know he's still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can kind of see the beginning of his endgame story um, through this season's finale setting up Maul's story for the rest of the season. I mean, he wasn't, he's not prevalent in the next two seasons, but yeah, he definitely makes a comeback a couple of times. Well, I'll have more to talk about Maul next season. Yeah, uh, no, definitely. But I do exactly. want to say that on the flip side, it's nice to see them sparingly laid a the the cement for Maul's story to take form in Rebels. But but I do like what that I don't know, like maybe they touched upon a little bit more in Clone Wars, but in Clone Wars' case it was more of Maul just doing like his own self serving stuff. But when he's talking with Ezra, the thing that really makes me that I really like and they kind of make us feel sorry for him because he's not he's not lying in this case is that Maul, it you really have to kind of feel sorry for him when you when he if you're looking at it from Ezra's point of view because, I mean he's not entirely wrong. I mean Palpatine picked him up as his apprentice, yeah. used him in that little game in Naboo, and then when he didn't need Maul anymore, he just threw him out and picked up a new apprentice. And yeah. I mean he and Maul was just left to die, like yeah. <laughs> That's kind of screwed up. It is. And it's... I don't want to say that it's very prevalent in Maul's personality here. Mm -hmm. But I picked up the vibe of stuff that happened in the final season of Clone Wars when Maul gets the visions of Anakin and he's trying to warn Ahsoka at one point that Anakin will turn evil. Yeah. Um... Because he's still referencing a lot of that stuff now, though it's more subtle quips rather than in-your-face saying Anakin's this and that. Mm-hmm. But he's definitely still trying to taunt Ahsoka here and there with Lady Tano stuff and referencing things that they've talked about in the past encounters and all that. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was pretty interesting that, you know, this is still going on. Oh yeah, totally, a hundred percent. Yeah, but uh, uh, that, I think those are the main things I wanted to cover. Um, another recurring character I think is uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. Yeah, I've seen Tarkin here and there. Uh... Yeah, he's he's not very involved, but he is referenced quite a bit with Vader going on a taking a more active role in the hunt for the rebels. Yeah, and I've I've always been a fan of Tarkin. I. I just, uh, 
Like, I don't know. Like, he, he and Thrawn are just characters that I like because, I mean, Tarkin actually does seem like a genuinely intelligent and, like, you know, like a very intimidating villain, in my opinion. Uh, because, I mean, he's the only real Imperial officer that in the original trilogy that isn't a complete idiot. Like, now he does end up dying, but it's more out of arrogance instead of stupidity. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I've always just been a fan of uh, Tarkin and, uh, yeah, R.I.P. Peter Cushing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I want to talk a little bit more about Maul ne- next season. Oh, um, we're going to have to talk about Maul a good bit more next season, I think. But but I'm glad that they brought him back. I mean, I remember when you messaged me out of nowhere, Riz, telling me that Maul came back in Rebels. And I remember, like, I was just rolling my eyes, like, really? They brought him back? Can't this guy just die? But then when I see how they wrap up everything next season, I'm like, okay, okay, fine. I, I take I mean, back everything that I just said. I mean, that's how I felt when I saw Maul first come back in the Clone Wars. I was like, dude, of all the people to bring back, why bring back Darth Maul? But then, through the ever-amazing power of Filoni, they made Maul's story very compelling and very interesting and, and very and that, deserved. And that's why I like to say that Maul is Filoni's character, actually. Like, yeah. like okay, he didn't create Maul, but he kind of recreated him in the same way that, like, I don't know, like, the the Star Wars Clone Wars and Rebels did for Darth Maul what Batman the animated series did for uh, Mister Freeze. Yeah. They were both characters that already existed, but like in the case of uh, Mister Freeze, he was like before he was just this dude with a huge ice gun yeah. that would just go around freezing people. And then Batman the animated series came out and then gave him that whole backstory with how he was like permanently damaged trying to find a cure for his wife and now he's a guy who can't survive um unless he's at sub-zero temperatures like and now the comics and like every version of batman uses that mr freeze backstory and it's kind of it's similar with darth maul like before this animated series he was just some dude with like horns on his head with a creepy looking demon tattoo face he probably has like three lines in the phantom menace and i was gonna bring that up and say that i don't think darth maul said very many things at all and you know no nobody like he was just a bland character like who you might as well have just had obi-wan and qui-gon fight a dragon at the end because that's basically the same difference but then here comes clone wars and they give him a personality and like yeah this whole backstory like like I think Maul, like I think Filoni deserves to call Maul his character. Oh yeah, definitely. And I mean, that's the that's the beauty of these animated TV shows, in my opinion, is it fixes a lot of the faults that we feel the movies had. For mm-hmm. example, Maul was a very one-dimensional, boring character, just there to fill the quota of we need an evil-looking guy. And Anakin's character, if you just go after prequels, he's not a very likable character, to be honest. Yeah. But if you watch the Clone Wars and you watch Rebels, you can see that whole journey from start to finish, from episode one up until episode six. Yeah. 
Like, cumulatively, everything leads up to that. And the stuff in Clone Wars and Rebels really helps flesh it out. And, you know, our friend John Russo, who was on our podcast for the Galactic um, Star Cruiser a couple of podcasts ago, yep, he even said at one point that at some point he thinks with enough TV shows and build-up in the sequel era, we might have different opinions on stuff in the sequel movies. And I think that's a very real possibility because look how our perceptive perception, sorry, of Anakin and Maul have changed. Yep. So, yeah, I definitely think that we're this franchise can only go up. I hope. Well, I mean, my opinion on the sequels is already kind of changing a little bit for the best with uh, one of the novels that I'm reading, uh, Shadow of the Sith, but I'll do the podcast on it when I finish it. Yeah. Uh, that's another podcast for another time, and I'll probably talk about it more when we uh, do Rise of Skywalker, but uh, that's a different podcast. Uh, do we want to break down the characters now, though? Let's do it. Right, so. so Ezra, I guess, is going to be the first one to break down. Yep. You can start off with that one. Okay. So Ezra really has grown as a character. Like, he's he's grown more sure of himself while also growing less sure of himself in a very interesting way. Mm-hmm. So he's grown more confident and his relationship with the rest of the ghost crew. But he's still questioning and wavering on, can he be a good Jedi? Is this the right path for him? Is he capable of doing the things that he needs to do? And, you know, it's a very interesting journey he's going on. And it doesn't help that he's a kid, And in this season, he learns for certain his parents died recently. Yep. Like, last season, we thought his parents died, like, years ago. But it turns out that when Ezra made that, you know, plea to the entire universe to fight back against the Empire and that we have to do this, his parents heard that. And that's what inspired them to break out of jail. But unfortunately, while trying to get everyone else out of jail, they died. So that's a lot of grief building up for Ezra. And this is the beginning of a very difficult journey for him going forward into the next season. Because... They do say at one point Ezra is crossing that line a little bit between light and dark side and the Sith and the Jedi. Um, And that's very true because he does let his emotions prevail more often than not. Um, So far it hasn't really been detrimental. But he's definitely not the typical Padawan. He's more like Anakin in a way in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're really similar if you look at it because they're both kind of older when they realize that they have this power than the typical Jedi that are recruited. 
So, yeah, he he's at, he's he has a lot of stuff going on right now, and he really has a lot lot to sort out. Yep. Um, anything you want to add on there? I mean, the only thing I can add is that I I do remember, uh, even though it took me a while between watching the first half and the second half, I do remember the part where. Uh, Ezra finds out that his parents are dead and he actually starts crying. Uh, that was, that was a big thing that stood out to me. Like, you know, there was, uh, he was just a very relatable guy in that case. So I, that's, a, I think you kind of broke him down perfectly. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I just, he was a much more relatable character here. And I know that there are some people who are not big fans of his, but I think he was a much better character this season. Oh, yeah. And then, like, his entire subplot with the Hondo, dude, that is gold. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love that he keeps calling himself Zabo. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he does that in later seasons much, but it's still pretty fun. It is pr- still pretty funny to see it happen every now and then. And it's um, not only that, but I, I love that. I know this is kind of a superficial thing, but... Um, I, I think he got this from his battle with the Grand Inquisitor, but this season he has permanent scars on his yeah. on his face. Like that wasn't part of his design in the uh, in the previous season. I like how they do that because it shows that like there are permanent consequences that happen from events in this series. So oh, I, yeah. I, I know mean, that's a superficial physical sign of it, but I like that touch. Well. Part of Star Wars, I think, is they're not scared to so people die or get hurt or maimed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's happened even from like the first or second movie of the entire franchise with Luke losing an arm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a franchise that's not afraid of sewing these kind of concepts. Yep. So. Yeah, I mean, that's Ezra. He's still on a great path. I'm excited to talk about his journey in the next season because there's a lot of stuff we're going to have to unpack there. Yep. Um, in the case of Kanan, uh, I, the, the big thing with me and Kanan was, uh, you know, just trying to learn more about, uh, about you know, just trying to see how he comes to terms with Rex, which makes sense because... Uh, I mean, again, I, I remember all the flashbacks that he has in A New Dawn where he, uh, where that would make him distrust clones. And it even makes even more sense when you take the uh, the first scene in the Bad Batch in the context where we actually get to see what happened to him during Order 66. So that was great. Um, I, I think most of his arc is pretty standard this season, though. Like, he's dealing with a lot of anxiety over feeling that he's not a good enough master to Ezra. And, you know, that's the trial that he goes through in that dojo with that temple guard. And I thought it was pretty satisfying. I, I, so I, I think Kanan's journey was pretty standard, but still a very enjoyable one. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, not a lot more to add on to Kanan here, except to echo. I liked his relationship with Rex quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, there's also something to be said about Kanan's journey to being officially recognized by the Force as a Jedi Knight. 
um, because that's that's a big game changer, I think. Yep. I mean, I don't know if we really get to explore it as much as I would like to have, because in an ideal world, Kana would not go blind at the end, and he would be able to more confidently tell Ezra, hey, here's how you become a Jedi, here are the lessons you have to learn. Because he was kind of hesitant at the beginning, and he was very uncertain of himself in Season 1. But as they continue to train, he gets more sure of himself. He becomes more like a traditional knight does, even before he's designated a knight. Yep. So, that that slight difference in Kanan's attitude is very nice here, I feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to move on to Hera? Um, yeah. So Hera doesn't get as much as I would have liked, but we do have that very nice uh, Ryloth plot where we get to explore her and her dad's relationship and mm-hmm. look into how strained things are with between the two of them because her dad wanted to stay on Ryloth and protect their people. But Hera wanted to go off and fight with the Rebels to make a difference in the universe. And that caused a lot of friction for the two of them. And a lot of mistrust and people got hit over the head and things did not yeah. go well. And yeah. But but I think that was a very interesting storyline for Hera to see where she comes from. Yeah, honestly, like that episode is one of my favorites because uh, because here's the thing before i read a new dawn i read another book called lords of the sith now lords of the sith is just a meh kind of book like it's it's not bad but it's not terrible but the plot of that book is that Hera's father cham stages a massive uprising on ryloth because he's trying to uh because he's trying to uh and he tries this he tries to pull off this huge assassination attempt on Vader and Palpatine. And I, I don't have to tell you, it, it's not spoiling to say that they don't survive. Cause I mean, of course they don't. Cause I mean, Palpatine and Vader are in the original trilogy. So, yeah. Um, but so, I mean, that whole book kind of does an okay job of kind of establishing the kind of person that her father is. So seeing him there, you know, uh, you know, I, I wish that he made some references to the Lords of the Sith thing, but he does reference how uh, he and Mace Windu and uh, Commander Pons. Well, OK, he doesn't mention Pons by name, but uh, but like at the end of Rebel season one, there's like a whole story arc where they have to where they're battling in Ryloth and Champs and Dula assists Mace Windu and Pons in that in that battle. So I, it was cool how they referenced that. Um so, yeah, it, it was cool seeing the relationship between her and her father because I was kind of surprised a little bit at how, you know, their relationship was strained. But it does kind of make sense how Cham Syndulla only cares about trying to free Ryloth. Um, yeah. And but it was very satisfying and heartwarming to see that they make amends at the end because the big thing about Cham Syndulla that they establish in Lords of the Sith is that he's doing all of this for his daughter's sake. Because at the yeah. end of the book, even though his plan to kill Vader and Palpatine fails and the whole 
uprising appears to be a failure. He still wants to continue it because he wants his daughter, Hera, who I think is probably still a... Hera would probably still be a little bit younger at that point because that book takes place when uh, the Empire is still using V-Wings instead of TIE Fighters. So I would assume that it takes place not too long after the Clone Wars ended. Um, He wants to make Ryloth a better place for his daughter, Hera. So just knowing all that that I read in Lords of the Sith, that made it a very satisfying thing between her and her her father that that might be one of my favorite episodes of the whole show actually just based on what i read in the book that's fair i can see that mm-hmm. um it's definitely a really good episode i don't know if i call it my favorite non-finale episode yeah but um definitely a really strong story for Hera. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the best character of the season, uh, now he's not my favorite character now, uh, that'll be a different person, but I think Zeb was the best character of this season. Like he, he has his rivalry with Agent Callus, uh, which I love, especially in that episode where, uh, he and Callus are stuck on that ice planet and have to work together. Um, yeah. And I, and I love his backstory, how, you know, we learn more about him being the only survivor and how he you know he ultimately finds out that there are other lasats and you know we have and you know he has to take them to this other planet uh i wish that was touched upon a bit more but um i think for what we got i mean i think zeb like zeb was the one where they fleshed out his backstory and actually did something with it this season and i really enjoyed that yeah definitely zeb got fleshed out quite a bit here um i think the strongest Zeb episode is the Callus episode on the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, because that that's been a long time coming with this season so far. Because they're all of the ones that are kind of butting heads under different uh, encounters with, with each other. Yeah. And for them to kind of form a... I don't want to call it a friendship. It's more like a frenemy kind of thing yeah. where, you know, they're friendly, but they have to recognize they're still enemies. Um, this is the beginning of a really big plot point for the rest of Rebels, but we'll mm-hmm. get there when we get there. But definitely I liked that episode quite a bit. Um, I also liked the episode where we find out where the Lasat uh, ended up or where their, where their new colony planet will be i thought that was a pretty good episode as well yep but the thing about zeb though is he has such a big personality and while on the surface he's very um he's kind of you know gruff and serious and he wants to act really badass but the more you see this season the more you feel like Zeb truly cares and he has a big heart. Mm-hmm. So definitely Zeb gets a lot more growth here and you get a lot more information on who he is and his personality and all that. Mm-hmm. Now with Sabine, uh, do we have anything else to say about Zeb? 
No, I'm okay. I'm ready for Sabine. Now I'm just gonna give a bit of a spoiler since uh, as of the recording of this now, uh, ladies and gentlemen who are listening, uh, I have seen all of Rebels. I finished up uh, I finished up the last two seasons. Uh, I I finished it earlier this week actually. Um, I, Sabine is my favorite Rebels character, and I can say that now confidently. Uh, but um, that's more based off of all the stuff that she goes through in seasons three and four. But with that said, season two sets up a lot of that with her. You know, there's the, um, you know, we find out more about, uh, you know, like I said, you know, she's part of the Vizsla clan, which is the clan that opposed Satine's rule during the Clone Wars. Her family were part of terrorists that wanted to, uh, help take over Mandalore. So it it's great. I, I think this episode establishes, um, no, 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 no. I think the next season establishes more of a tragic part of her backstory. Yeah. Well. This, the only Sabine focus we really get is when we see her uh, former friend when they're trying to get that uh, droid back to R2. Yep. The Traskan droid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget the I forget the character's name, but like her childhood friend or whatever that they used to be together prior yeah. to all this stuff happening. Um, that's the only real focus we get on her, I think. But I mean, it, it's great setup for what happens next season, so I really can't complain about it. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. It's good build up. There's no two ways about that. I think the last major guy that we can talk about uh, is Agent Callus. Um, Sopper deserves all the love in the world, and you will not skip over my man Sopper. Yeah, but Chopper's Chopper. He's still awesome. Yeah, I just love... I just want to throw out there, I love the way he can mock people with his laugh whenever he does something fun. Yeah. Uh, Okay, now we can move on to Callus. Now I've given some props to my man Sopper. You know, the funny thing is, is that um, in order to talk about like the first half of this season and a little bit of season one, uh, I watched a full season review from a YouTuber. His name is uh, Movie Flame. Um, He uh, he's a great YouTuber. Now, I should clarify that nowadays he mostly does content almost exclusively on Harry Potter because like Harry Potter is like his favorite thing. But he he does. He's done a lot of content on uh, the Hunger Games. He's done content on Star Wars, and he did like a bunch of videos on um, on Avatar: The Last Airbender. And he actually said that Agent Callus is very similar to Zuko from uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender, because um, with like how his redemption story goes. And I still need to finish that show. do agree based on what I know about Zuko with how he starts off as like season one, he's just this typical, like I'm going to hunt down the rebels because I am loyal to the empire thing. But then this season, and I'm not going to spoil what happens in the next two seasons, but like this season we're shown a bit more of a more human side to him. And I'm going to go into more detail on this when I talk about my, uh, in my Thrawn video, but one thing that I love that the Star Wars new canon does, not just in this, but like there's a lot of 
books that do it is that I love it when they try to humanize the Imperials. Like, oh, yeah. Like, let's not, like, sometimes it's not just Empire good, Empire evil, rebellion good, like, light side versus dark side. I mean, not everyone is aware that this is a battle between Sith and Jedi. And, you know, so it's cool to see like everyday Imperials like Callus seen from their point of view where there's a more human side to him. Like, yes, he killed, he supposedly, not going to go into detail there because what we find out in the finale, but like he supposedly killed all the Lasat and he brags about it to Zeb. But then in that episode where he and Zeb are stuck on the ice moon, he voices his regret doing it. And that episode is also great for him because he starts to question why he's working with the empire. And a huge thing is that when Zeb gets off the ice moon and he goes and meets his friends on the ghost, they all greet him. You know, they give him hugs like Zeb, we were so worried about you. We love you. Meanwhile, Callus gets on his star destroyer and he's limping and he passes by Admiral Constantine and all Admiral Constantine has to say is, Agent Callus, and then he just walks away as if like That's it's no big deal. deal. Yeah. Like, the guy almost froze to death and <laughs> you don't care. Like I that honestly started to make me feel for Agent Callus. And it's more for setup of what's gonna happen next yeah. season, but that I I really like how this season tries to take a different direction with him. Yeah, no, definitely Callus um this is the beginning of a really good story arc for him mm-hmm. and i again the zeb and him stuck on the moon is one of the best episodes in the season in my opinion yep so yeah i definitely think major kudos and props to that character and then as far as the grand inquisitors go we have three of them now at, by the end of this Mm-hmm. Um, though I think I think two of them died at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So we're down to one again. But we we get a little bit more into the Inquisitors in that now we know that they're not only just there to hunt down the fully grown Jedi like Kanan and Ezra then they're also looking for Force-sensitive kids to turn into Inquisitors. Yeah. So, they have a couple of purposes. And then also, they're hunting down Maul. Mm-hmm. Which, which I didn't... When I first watched it, I didn't really expect that to be a thing that they ever thought about. Mm-hmm. But, at the, remember, at the time that I watched it, we didn't know Maul came back again at, in the final season of Clone Wars. Yeah. So the fact that Maul came back again is a good explanation for why Vader is even looking for him. Because mm-hmm. if you hadn't seen the final season of Clone Wars when it, you know, when Rebels was airing the first time, well, you'd be kind of wondering like how did Vader know to go look for this dude? So, yeah, definitely mm-hmm. definitely interesting that we you know, get all that back and forth connections now as time goes on. 
I mean, honestly, like the Inquisitors, like, I mean, if you want to see like the best story done with an Inquisitor, then go play Jedi Fallen Order. I know yeah. you're doing that right now, Riz, but uh, I'm working on like, it slowly but surely. Yeah, because Trilla, Trilla, that's her name. Uh, I'm not going to spoil anything for Riz, but Trilla is Trilla is probably the best Inquisitor character ever, and it's not even, mm -hmm. a, and it's not even a contest. I mean, the Inquisitors are cool gimmick kind of gimmicky type of characters here, but they get more fleshed down in other things. I mean, well, honestly, I would probably even say, I know that she's a very polarizing character among the fandom, but I would say that Reva from Obi-Wan Kenobi is a little bit more interesting than these other, than the, than these side have personality. characters. Yeah. And like, I don't know. When I watched the, Rebels the first time when we started seeing the Inquisitors, my mm -hmm. my first thought about them was, oh, look, Vader and Palpatine figured out a way around the rule of two only. Yep. Because if they didn't have the Inquisitors, it'd have to be Vader doing more to hunting. And I mean, honestly, that couldn't have gone well because Vader is so OP that he would just immediately kill everyone in the first season. Mm-hmm. But having these Inquisitors with varying abilities and skills, it lowers the threat factor to make it compelling enough to keep going. Yep. Because if it was if it was just Vader, it'd be a bloodbath, we'd be done, there'd be no interesting story here. Yep. So, yeah. Did we have anything else we wanted to analyze, or...? I... I don't think... There's nothing else I really want to hit on over here. Uh, in that case, before we get to overall thoughts, uh, I didn't really do this in season one because I didn't remember as much. But this time, uh, I do have some notes on some uh, connections and other trivia related to Star Wars media. If you guys watch my uh, novel, listen to my novel uh, reviews, you know that I, I really love to do this. I always like to find little tiny connections to uh, other pieces of Star Wars media. Uh because that's me. So uh, if you don't have anything else to say, Riz, I, I might I can No, sound. go for it. It's all you, man. Okay. So for starters, this is something I noticed. Uh, so um, I don't know if they're named actually, but uh, they're these ships called uh, Hammerhead class Corvettes. They're prominent cruisers in the Rebel fleet throughout this season. Uh, those, those actually stood out to me. Those are the uh, primary cruisers for the Republic fleet in the Knights of the Old Republic video game, uh, in the Legends continuity. So it's cool seeing those ships on screen. Um, here's a big one. Um, so in the episode where, we in, where we're introduced to Hera's father, Cham, he has two other companions, and all three of them are wearing armor that um, is scavenged off of uh, the Ghost Company of clone troopers. Those are the clone trooper. That's the clone trooper company that uh, helped free Ryloth in the battle. And this really cool fact is that uh, the female Twi'lek that is accompanying, uh, that accompanies Cham, her name is Numa. Um, she is, she appeared in the Clone Wars as a little Twi'lek child that could, that couldn't speak basic. And she is shown wearing armor and the two and the armor that uh, she is wearing resembles that of uh, Boyle and Waxer 
These are two clone troopers that be friends. There's a whole episode called Innocence of Ryloth where these two clone troopers, Boyle and Waxer, help Numa when she gets separated from her family. That's a very memorable episode. I love that episode. Uh, she is wearing the armor of the two clone troopers that care of her, and that is absolutely sweet. I love that. Um, I vaguely remember this happening in Clone Wars, now that you mentioned it. Yeah. Um... Now, here's a big thing. Um, so, funny thing is, is that John left that comment on your video uh, about how Lasats were based off of some concept art for uh, Wookiees from the designer Ralph McQuarrie. Well, this season, this whole season, is basically a love letter to the deceased Ralph McQuarrie because a lot of his original concept art, a lot of ideas that he originally drew are brought to life in this season. So like the Krikna spiders that the uh, characters frequently encounter on Adelon, those are based off of um, uh, originally for some concept art for Dagobah and Empire. There was apparently, so he had Luke encountering some like indigenous and like predatorial creatures. The Krikna spiders are based heavily off of some creatures on Dagobah. Uh, Leia's outfit that she appears in is based off of an early concept art that he had of the character. Um, Boss Yushin, who is the uh, who appears in this one episode called The Call, he's the boss of this mining guild that our crew has to steal some stuff from. Uh, he his alien species is based off a of design of an alien bounty hunter that was supposed to appear in The Empire Strikes Back. Um, the uh we have an episode uh, two episodes actually i believe where the crew arrives on geonosis and they encounter saul guerrera during which uh there's a little construction sphere above geonosis and that's apparently supposed to be based off of early concept art from return of a jedi where multiple death stars were being built in a in a ring around a planet um and then finally uh here's a character that i i can't I can't believe we didn't mention this protocol droid named AP5. He is apparently based off of uh, early concept art for a Death Star droid. And uh, dude, that that's like an amazing droid. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Ralph McQuarrie. I mean, his concept art is amazing. He's a great designer. So a lot of his designs were used here. Um. The uh, two more. Uh, there's like a three more things to uh to bring up uh the jedi dojo that kanan ha visits in his vision um it this is apparently the first time that it appeared was in the kanan comic series where he's shown training there with yoda as a youngling of course and there are several lightsaber hilts that are displayed in the background and the lightsaber hilts at least according to information that i found some of the jedi masters whose lightsabers we can see include uh Kiati Mundi, Luminara Unduli, Kit Fisto, and Adi Gallia. Their lightsabers are all apparently on display in that dojo. Um, well, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and one other thing, um, apparently this kind of confirms it. There's a part where um, there's a particular scene in the finale when they arrive on Malachor where Ezra finds an ancient Sith lightsaber hilt 
that looks heavily like Kylo Ren's lightsaber. And this confirms something that um, I can't remember where it was said, but like my one of my friends who watched Rebels kind of told me this. And maybe this is the maybe this is what actually confirms it, that Kylo Ren's lightsaber is based heavily off of ancient Sith designs. That's why his lightsaber has like the little side guard thing on it. But I thought I thought the lightsaber that Ezra found was green, right? Well, no, no, he doesn't activate the lightsaber. He just finds a hilt. No, no, no. He activated it. Oh, I thought it was green. Well, then it could have just been based off like ancient design in general, not necessarily. I think ancient design. It would make a lot more sense, but okay. Because if we say it's ancient Sith, then I could see a Sith having a normal colored lightsaber that's not red. But I feel like it goes against the central thematic. Like, at the very least, maybe it should be purple. Like a purple Sith lightsaber. Yeah. But the only other thing is that this season is the first on-screen appearance of lightsabers in training mode, since we frequently see scenes where Kanan and Ezra train with their lightsabers. And this is a different mode that they set it in where... The lightsabers only sting on impact, but they're not going to, like, cut anyone or cut their arms off or anything. Uh, that's about it. I mean, I, I prob- there's probably a bunch of other ones that are related to other things that I had read, but that was just all I could find. But yeah. I don't know. I mean, I love Ralph McQuarrie's work, so I'm really glad that they brought in a lot of his original concept art. Like those, like those Krickness spiders are some of the creepiest looking things, and they're awesome too. <laughs> they are. Um, yeah, that that's all really good information. Uh, some of the stuff I didn't even know, so mm-hmm. really cool for you to bring that up. Um, yeah. The only, I mean, I'm down for overall thoughts. Unless you have anything else you want to bring up, Nate? Yeah, I have nothing else to bring up. Okay, so I do want to hit real quick on overarching season thematics that we're dealing with here. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do a lot of this in the first one because I, it, it was kind of obvious what was going on there. I felt yep. but the theme in season one is we're seeing the rebel, the rebellion from the point of view of one cell, just the ghost crew. And at the end of uh, season one, we're given a backdoor entrance to oh, these are not individual cells doing their own random stuff. They're organized in a bigger rebellion that we don't know anything about yet. Then this season kind of breaks down the beginnings of that overall rebellion getting more organized. So we pick up a carrier, we pick up a base, we pick up more pilots, and... Overall, we just start to get more organized. But this this season ended with the Rebels just starting their base. Yep. And I believe they stay on that base for the remainder of season three. Um, yeah, they at do. At some point, they move again. But, you know, this is, these are all different stages of the rebellion 
and we're seeing it through the eyes of the ghost crew, but we're also seeing season by season. Each season is dedicated to one phase of the rebellion, basically. Yep. And I think that's a really cool thing that they're doing here in the Rebels uh, series is kind of organizing it in that way and not like a haphazard, oh, hey, so we need a base, so here's a base. But, you know, there's there's all kinds of plan buildup. Mm-hmm. So I like that quite a bit. Yep. Um, overall thoughts for me, I think this season has a lot going for it. Um, like I said, it has one of the most iconic Star Wars moments in all of Star Wars, in my opinion. Uh, we get a lot of good character development. Uh, Sabine is lacking a little bit behind everyone else, but I'm okay with that because it's not a race to get the character development. And I will tell you right now, having seen Rebels twice already, um, all the characters are really well developed by the end. It's just a matter of who gets to focus when throughout. And so Sabine's time will come. It just isn't here yet. But definitely we're getting a lot of good backstory on Ezra, on Zeb, on everyone. And we're getting more personality for Kanan and Zeb as well, which is always appreciated. Mm-hmm. And for Callus. And Topper is always going to be Topper. <laughs> Cannot forget Topper. Never forget Topper. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I think we're, we're doing pretty good on the season here, Nate. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, this season is um, <clears throat> a lot better than uh, its predecessor. Uh, you know, there there are some old characters there, but it feels like it's... This is the season where I feel like the show was starting to come into its own. You know, it's it really tries to flesh out its own original characters, and that's what I really appreciate. Um I I love the final arc at uh, the planet is called Malachor, by the way, which that's another thing. Uh, Malachor is established as like this ancient Sith world in the yeah. Knights of the Old Republic video game. So I love how they canonize that. Um, that that final arc is probably one of the most probably one of my favorite Star Wars moments, period. And I and like I said earlier, like I, I would I. I disagree with people who say that this show should have been focused more on Ahsoka and Rex. Like, no, they had their own show, and I'm glad how this show recognizes that, and they have their own original characters that they want to flesh out. And I appreciate that, and I'm glad that they try to do that. And they don't, and they don't always hit bullseyes. Like again, they could have, like you know, Sabine is going to have her time next season, but they're trying, and I and. I, I appreciate that. There's effort being put in to try to flesh out these characters. And what I especially love is how this season ends on a very bittersweet note, like with yeah. Ahsoka supposedly dying, Kanan is blinded, Ezra is considering using the Sith holocron and is being tempted by the dark side. Like, that left me wondering, like, oh my god, I need to know what happens next, like, right now. Like, is and, Ezra going to defect? <laughs> yeah. And... So it got me hyped for season three, which I appreciate because season three is my favorite of the show. And so, yeah, this 
I I liked season one okay. I can tolerate season one. Um, I can see why people don't like it, but season two is where it really starts to come into its own. Like th- this yeah. is uh, like season two is like one of the things where I don't just like it, but like if you don't like this season, then I have to legitimately question your tastes. To be yeah. honest, like th- this is genuinely good. Now, one one random go back to the notes section that you had started on this podcast, Nate. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a very quick scene. If you blink, you're going to miss it at at the end of the season. Um, When we see Vader limping out of the temple and we see Ahsoka walking deeper into the temple, Mm -hmm. we can see a glimpse of an owl. Yep. And the owl is known as Morai, who has spiritual ties to the daughter that we see uh, in the Clone Wars. The daughter uh, is one of the characters from the planet. The Mortis. Mortis the Mortis right. story arc, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's very interesting that we're seeing the the daughter return because the daughter was kind of made the avatar for Ahsoka when Anakin was trying to come to terms with everything he was dealing with. Yep. And not to give a spoiler, but um, Mora does appear in other locations throughout Ahsoka's journey. Mm-hmm. So they're very well tied together. Um, for example, Mora is present when Din meets Ahsoka in The Mandalorian. So very cool that we're getting that. Yep. But yeah, that was just my quick uh, call back to the notes because I just remembered I didn't talk about this and I remember wanting to talk about it. Yeah, that's fine. So, yeah, those are my thoughts. And uh, I would say definitively, uh, I I mean, I don't want to give it a 10. I'm probably going to give this an 8.5 out of 10, which is a big step up from my 7.5 because this time I feel like there's effort being put in there and yeah. I, and not all the effort hits bullseyes but that's fine and that's why I'm giving it an 8.5 because not everything hits bullseyes but that there's no shame in that yeah there's and it. I mean that was what I was going to give it as well as an 8.5 mm-hmm. which I think is up from an 8 I gave last time if I remember correctly yep so no definitely I think Rebel is doing really good I, I'm very excited for where we're going next. Yep. Oh, I'm excited too. I love season three. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that, that that's my thoughts on this. All right. Um, in that case, uh, we have enjoyed uh, you know this revisiting of Rebels, and we will see you guys. Uh, we thank you guys so much for uh, taking the time to listen to us. If you've seen this. Uh, if, if there's any other connections to Star Wars content that I may have missed in my little section, you can feel free to leave comments down below wherever it is that you're listening. Um, just to, you know, give us our own, just to like see something that I've missed. Because I noticed somebody did that uh, in my new Dawn review, which I really appreciate that guy pointing out some other stuff that I may have missed. So uh, that'll be cool. Uh, please leave us, you know, your own thoughts on season two. Maybe give us some other Star Wars content you'd like to see us cover. If you 
um, especially with novel reviews. If you guys want me to review a certain novel and I've already read it, I will review that immediately upon request. And if not, then I'll make reading that book a priority. Uh, with that being said, we thank you guys so much for listening to us, whether you're on YouTube, Spotify, or iTunes. Uh, without you guys, we would not be able to do this. And we also want, again, to stress our support for those who are currently on strike, even those that are working on Star Wars. We do this to show our support for all their hard work, because without them, we would not have these shows. And that goes for both the writers and the actors. We appreciate all their hard work and we fully support them. Next time we will be uh, taking a look at, uh, well, next time I'll be doing my uh, Thrawn review, but our the next time we reconvene, uh, we'll be doing our, uh, me and Riz together, we'll try to do a Rebel Season 3. We will see you guys next time when we do that. But until that time, you guys stay safe. We love you and may the Force be with you.